Will you turn in your Bibles, please, for the time remaining to us, to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. And I remind you of this is not revelations, it's revelation. One revelation, and it's concerning the revelation of Jesus Christ. Beginning to read at verse 10. The word of God. I was in the spirit in the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice, like the sound of a trumpet, saying, Write in a book what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, Pergamum, Tartyra, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were like white, like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were burnished bronze, and it, as it has been into glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. Chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and the one who walks in the midst among the seven golden lampstands says this. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Our Father, we come now to hear your word. Give us ears to hear, minds to think, and Father, hearts to respond. May your spirit teach us out of this text as we prepare for a new year ahead of us what God would have Sodaville Church to be, not the building, but the people who are the church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stephen Larson has a book. He calls it The Final Call. And in that book, Stephen Larson writes this. We have heard the experts. We've heard the politicians. We've listened to the media. The church consultants. All these have spoken. But now... Now it is time and the hour has come for us to hear the Lord himself. The words of Martin Luther, the reformer, says Larson, must once again ring across the land. Let the church be the church. Only one army, says Larson, only one army has the, 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 the fire 
and the final power to disarm the enemy, the enemy's malice against the church and God. The only army that can withstand the enemy is the blood-bought church of Jesus Christ. The master plan is to use his followers to stem the tide of darkness. Let me repeat that. The master plan of God is to use his followers to stem the tide of darkness. Think of it. The master plan of God is to use Sotoville Church to stand like a wall against the enemy's malice, which is to deny and to destroy and to confuse everything that God has said. And for the next few moments, I want to talk about the privilege of the church from this text. The privilege of the church. And John begins by telling us the mood, the mood, M-O-O-D, that was necessary to prepare for things to come. He said this, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. That's the mood. What John was going to hear and what John was going to write was impossible outside of the sphere of the Spirit. John is telling us that he prepared himself on the Lord's day. The, the, the question, you know, one of, one, one of the things that, that is almost an amazing thing, and you laugh when this is said, but it is true, that perhaps the most difficult time for you and me is on our way from home to church, especially if we have little children. Sometimes it's not only little children, it's big children. <laughs> we, we, could, we, could, we could tell that, that, that something is not there, and so we come not in the spirit. We come in the mood that was extant in the car. The mood that was, was, was there when we left home. The mood that we set the day before. And John said, on the Lord's day, he was in the Spirit, the sphere of the Spirit. When Jesus was on earth, he said to his disciples, I am going away and I'm going to send the Spirit. And he is going to be with you and he's going to be in you. And he's going to be the one who continues my program that I started when I was here. So that outside of the Spirit, the church is listening to voices that are not God's voices, God's voice. The politician speaks. Even the pastor could speak. But is it possible, my friends, that we are so satisfied, you and me, so satisfied with coming to church that it doesn't matter how we come. We come and we go and we remain the same. John could not remain the same after being in the Spirit on the Lord's day. There was going to be a transformation of his life. He was going to write and speak of things that, that he didn't know anything about, but only the Spirit could give him the ability to speak those things and to say those things, and so it is with you and me. Listen to the Lord Jesus 
I, I should say to the Apostle Paul, as he's writing to this very troubled church at Corinth, he goes through so many things with the church at Corinth, and at the end of 2 Corinthians, he writes this. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit. The communion of the Holy Spirit. If the church at Corinth is to be changed, it must be changed by its preparation to come to the house of God. We must be in the mood. You know, there are several things that we have to be in the mood for. But my friends, the only mood that we need on the Lord's day is to be in the Spirit. We have been given the Spirit, but we have ignored Him. The Spirit has been given to us to abide with us and to be with us forever. Yet everything in the church today seems to be physical, material, intellectual. But we are not hearing the voice of the Spirit because we're not in communion with Him. And it is my prayer that as we begin a new year, that we will hear the words of Scripture again from Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6. Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit. Because, my friends, when the Spirit is the one who leads us, it will be contrary to everything that is going on in the world. And please listen to me. We are living in a world that is so secular that even God doesn't matter anymore. I can tell you that not only from North America, but in Britain, in Germany, in Amsterdam, in some parts of the world, less than 1% of the people go to church on Sunday at all. So, some years ago, a survey was taken asking Britons, what is Easter all about? And less than half of them knew what Easter was all about. I don't need to go on with that. If we, my friends, are to face the onslaughts of unbelief and secularism that's coming in our world and in our church, we must be in the mood. We must be in the spirit. Let me tell you what happens when there's a communion of the spirit. When there is communion in the Spirit, there will be communication from the Spirit. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and he said, there is no place that we find God that we do not find communication. Genesis chapter 1. God created the heavens and the earth, and earth was without form, and, 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 and without without light, and the Spirit of the Lord moved across the face of the earth, and God said. And right through the entire Bible, wherever the Spirit of God is, He communicates. He speaks to us because, my friends, we need more than physical words with which to meet the trials, the difficulties, the disappointments, even the defeats of our times. We need words that are beyond human words. 
and only the Spirit can bring order out of chaos, light out of darkness, direction out of aimlessness. Only the Spirit can do that. And the Spirit spoke. And John said, I heard. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard. Oh, dear friends, I plead with you. I plead with you. Don't come to church every Sunday without being conscious of the fact that God has spoken to me and I have heard. Don't only come to church for that. It will be a boring experience. Believe me, it, it, it's, it'll be like, like going to a concert and not enjoying the music. <laughs> the Spirit communicates. One of my favorite passages in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 and 2 says this, And while they were ministering to the Lord, the Spirit said. While the church was meeting in Antioch, and they were worshiping God, the Spirit said. You know what he said? Separate me, Paul and Barnabas, that I might direct them to the ministry for which I have called them. How, how wonderful it would be, my friends, this morning, if someone in this congregation would say, at the end of this service, God spoke to my heart about. I want to be able to say, at the end of this service, God spoke and I heard. This is what God is directing us to do in the year 2016. We can't do anything about 14. We can't do anything about 13. We can't do anything, you know, someone asked me if, if, if I, how I felt speaking in the church that I preached my first message. And I'll tell you what, I always remember this. After I preached from the book of Philippians, not knowing anything about anything about the scriptures. After I was finished speaking, I said to myself, where am I going to get more stuff to speak about? I didn't know that I was coming to a bottomless well. I didn't know that I was coming to truth that was eternal. And the more I communicate in the Spirit, the Spirit speaks. And we don't need to be afraid of that, friends, because the Spirit isn't going to lead us into, into weird things. The Spirit isn't going to tell me, tell those people in Sotoville Church to give you all their money. There are people who say that. I know of one church in Michigan where the people are told what cars to buy, what house to buy, and when to move. My friends, that's not the Spirit's voice. That's the other voice that the church doesn't need to hear. And he spoke, and I heard. Listen, in the book of Revelation, he was writing to the seven churches, and at the end of each, at the end of each of the, the, the message to the church, you know what it says? Let him who has an ear hear what the Spirit says. After each church, let him who has an ear. And I want our church to hear what the Spirit is saying. 
I do a lot of research. I do a lot of, of, of stuff getting to know what's going on in the world. But my friends, I do not want, at the end of the day, I don't want the last voice I hear is the voice of the world. I don't want the first voice I hear in the morning is the voice of the world. So I begin and end my day in God's word so that the Spirit will speak because I want ears to hear what he's saying. Secondly, we have not only what I call the mood for the congregation, but here is one of the great things. We sang it this morning about meekness and majesty. There is mystery in a congregation where the Spirit is present. There's mystery. Listen to John. Look at verse 12. Then I, when I heard, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. <laughs> a very interesting thing happened. I had a, a friend of mine in, in Belize. We used to go together. He's the only friend I saw when I was back there. His name was Bernard. And he was, he, as we were getting in a car to go to our place, he was just coming out of his fenced-in place now. And he was walking in that direction, and my driver said, oh, there he is. And I jumped out of the car, and I was walking behind him. And I called his name, and he turned, and he said, Winston, I was just talking about you. <laughs> He turned. And here, my friends, this is the mystery and the privilege of a congregation. That a congregation that is in the mood of the Spirit lives under the authority of a divine voice. A congregation who is in the mood of the Spirit lives under the authority of a divine voice. I heard like the sound of a trumpet. That means, my friends, that there was a distinct sound. There was a sound that pierced every other emotions. That, that was the only thing I heard. Everything else was obscured. Only the Word of God can do that. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The Word of God is alive. It is powerful. It is discerning. It is penetrating. It reaches ray into the human heart where no doctor, no nurse, no physician can see. Only the Spirit of God can go there. And my friends, that is why we need that. When Peter was fishing all night and he caught nothing, Jesus said to him, cast a net over there. And Peter said, Lord, I've been doing that all day. Nevertheless, at your word. Nevertheless, at your word, we need to have that authority so that whatever the world says, whatever the Supreme Court says, we are listening to God's word. No one else, not even the man standing before you this morning. The authority of a divine voice, we need, we need to have that. More can be said, but not only that, not only do we have the authority of a divine voice that we listen to, we need to know what this word is saying, how to respond to what is happening. 
And by the way, friends, if we, were, if we would abide in the scriptures, you know what would happen? We would laugh at what's happening. You know why? Because when Jesus was on earth, he said, these are the things that will happen. In this world, you're going to have tribulation, he said. And people will rise up against the scriptures and people will deny that Jesus is the son of God. That's what's happening now. He said it. And, and if we would read the scriptures, if we would abide in the scriptures and listen to the spirit as he speaks, we would be able to say, oh, yeah, that's what he said. That's exactly what he said. You know, uh, please forgive me for this, but on our way home last week, we, we got tangled up in Denver. And um, because of their idiocy, Really, it is. You're getting off the plane and they're loading people for the other plane and you're waiting for your luggage from the plane that you have to get off so you can go. And they give you five minutes to do that. So after they bungled up that one, they made arrangements for us to fly to Denver from Houston and then from Houston, uh, from Denver, to Portland. So we thought, okay, that's all right. So when we got to Denver, and I presented my boarding pass, it says, we don't have any record for you to go to Portland. <laughs> I was certain they did. In fact, I showed them. I said, here it is. Dear friends, what am I getting at? I don't want you to feel sorry for me. I just want you to know that there is a certainty that we can trust beyond human certainty. The certainty of a divine person. Listen to this. And in the midst of them, the lampstand is a simile for the church. The seven churches, which represents churches of all times. And I want you to see where this divine person is. Look at his location. He is central. He was in the midst of them. He is the center of attraction. He's the one that draws men and women to himself. His position speaks of his preeminence. There's not, when, when Christ is present in his church, there is not a location in the church where Christ is not seen. There's not a position in the church where Christ is not seen. Jesus still stands at the center of his church. He's the hub, or ought to be. And every spoke in the church must intersect in him. He is the place of absolute supremacy and centrality. This precious truth should govern and control our thoughts, our words, our behavior, anytime we come together as the church. Because when he is in the center, people are observing him. He was in the midst of them. Listen to what Jesus promised. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in their midst. Dear friends, there is a divine person in our midst this morning. And we must have eyes to see. And only in the spirit can we discern that he is here.
You know, in 1 Corinthians 14, when Christ was in the midst of the people, unbelievers came into the church of Corinth, and you know what, you know what they said? Surely God is among them. There was a divine presence, a divine person, not a make-believe person. He was in the midst of them. And we must strive for this. That's why if you prepare yourself to come to church, my friends, you come so that you, when you come, you will be more aware of Him than the person sitting next to you. You won't ignore them, none at all. Or the person behind you, the person in front of you. When he is in the midst, all the attention is given to him. Look at his description. It's in verses 13 to 16. This is what we, we need for 2016. In the middle of the lampstand, I saw one like the Son of Man, which is a euphemism for Jesus, the Messiah. And he was clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet. See? He is describing the person who was in their midst. He was not describing his experience. He was not describing, my friends, himself. Only one person bears this description in the church. And it is Jesus Christ. Look at what we see here. This, this person is other than we are. His eyes like burning fire, which means he can see beyond. He can see what the naked eyes cannot see. His feet like burnished bronze. That means that he comes as the one who has final authority to judge. He's a righteous one. It's an unbelievable description. And I look at the clock and it's time. Time is gone. The old hymn I used to sing in college. How wonderful. How beautiful the sight of thee must be. Thine endless wisdom. Boundless power and awful purity. Oh, dear friends, let us not go through 2016, the 10th of January, and end the 31st of December with the same description of Jesus as when we first believed. We must know him beyond Calvary. Hebrews chapter 6. We must know him, my friends, as the final authority, the divine presence, the divine person of whom the church rallies around. And lastly, and lastly, there is the activity of a divine visitor. Chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, right there in Asia, right there in space-time, Ephesus, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. This is Jesus who walks, who literally is present in his church, not only to be admired, 
The word walk in the Greek means someone who comes to inspect, someone who comes to comfort, someone who comes to give assurance. When he walks in the midst of his church, we heard this morning from, from Luke chapter 15, that, that here, it, here it was. When the son was coming, the father ran to meet him. But here, my friends, he continues to come to us. He's walking among us. And he doesn't, he doesn't, I'll tell you what, when he comes, what he comes to say. When he comes, he comes to say this. In all your affliction, I was afflicted. Isaiah 63, 9. You are not going through any difficulty that you are alone. It might seem so, so trivial or it might seem so unbelievable, difficult. I am with you. Listen, in Acts chapter 9, when the Apostle Paul, before he became the Apostle Paul, he was Saul persecuting Christians. And on the way to Damascus, a voice from heaven came and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who? I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting those people at Antioch. I'm persecuting those people in Jerusalem. And listen to what he says. You cannot persecute my people without persecuting me. What does that mean, friends? It means that Anyone who is persecuting you now for any reason at all, that your persecution touches the heart of Jesus. That he is aware of what you're going through. He's walking with you. He's present with you. And only as you are in the mood will you be able to say, God is my refuge and my strength a very present help in trouble. The disciples were going through a storm and they were doing their best rowing to see if they could get across the other side. And while they were in the sea fighting against the wind, Jesus was on the mountain praying. He didn't come, number one, he didn't prevent the storm. He didn't come at the beginning of the storm. He came when the storm was so intense that when the disciples saw him because of the time of the night, they thought they had seen a ghost. And listen to the voice of Jesus. Here is the activity, here's the activity of this divine visitor. I like what G. Kemble Morgan says. The storm waves became a pavement for Jesus to come to his disciples. And when he came, the first thing he said to them, don't be afraid. What's your storm this morning? What's raging against your life? On the authority of God's word, I say to you, don't be afraid. Afraid. We have the mood he has given us for our church. We have the mystery we live with in our church. 
And this mystery is that we are under, under the authority of a divine voice. We are gazing upon a divine person and we have the activity of a divine visitor. Let 2016 be a year that the Spirit does in us what Jesus intends his church to do. Let us pray. Father, oh God, let your word be driven by your Spirit to our hearts so that we do not try to impress people with what we know, but to proclaim who we know. Grant to us as a congregation this mood in the Spirit. Grant to us this awareness of this mystery in the midst of them. Grant to us, our Father, that we might be listening to the voice of the Spirit, the final authority, so that we might have the presence of the divine activity. Jesus walked among them and whispers to them, don't be afraid.